Hello and welcome to Turning Point Tactics, the competitive Kill Team 40k podcast focused on giving you the strategies and tactics to seize initiative every turning point. I'm your host Ryan and I'm joined by the Gazgold to my Yarrick, Connor. How are you doing this evening, Connor? I'm good, thanks Ryan. I almost struggled to get here on time as I struggled to get past my child's safety gate, which reminds me we're talking about barricades today and how to transverse them as going to be part of it. So uh, should we talk about barricades today? Yeah. <laughs> Lovely little segue into the uh, <laughs> the world of barricades and how I can slow you down as much as, as possible. But absolutely, I think barricades is the, the, the sort of the final step before you're into deploying your optics and all that sort of stuff. And it's the, the last bit of the pre-game sequence before you're into game models on the table, right? And I think initially it's probably worthwhile just looking at some of the core rules, people can understand some of the, the few mistakes I see quite often played, and then we'll go into a bit more of an advanced play of, of barricades because it is actually a huge part of the game and that there's, there's so much to talk about in it. So firstly, core rules. It's within, not wholly within. So that's the first thing I would say to people is if you make just one millimeter of your barricade within a uh, six inch of a deployment zone, that's okay. So you can make it so it stretches forwards um, effectively uh, what appears to be seven inches if, if needs be to give you that little bit of extra flex room. So within, not wholly within. And the next thing is going to be, it's it's a you-go-I-go system, right? So you place down a barricade, then your opponent does, assume you're a defender, then your opponent does, then it's back to you, then it's back to your opponent, right? So you get to see where they're positioning their barricades first and you get to then react to that. Now there's a little bit of play in that as well when it comes to uh, on ITD and the fact that you can't place barricades uh, close to other barricades. This also applies on open board but but really specifically it's, it's much more impactful on ITD because it might be that where you position your barricade means that you can deny your opponent a barricade on the on the, the objective that they're trying to get to as well so that could be a really interesting thing for you to look at so remind yourself within not wholly within you go I, I go and the sort of the core thing that i would say to remember is it should be always benefiting your team and never really benefiting your opponent so if your barricades are benefiting your opponent you've probably placed them poorly uh, or your game's going really badly but it, you want it to be giving you cover and helping your team out and denying them where possible any thoughts on that initial stuff going on the core rules no let's jump in sweet so the first use of barricades that I think there is, is to give you cover in your own deployment. I think this is probably the most boring use of barricades. And I would argue that it might be a, a symptom of poor map design if you're having to place barricades in your own deployment zone. I think the game is much more impactful and exciting if you're using sort of an aggressive barricade placement or, um, you know, it's up threat and it's it's in the midboard somewhere and it adds, adds more to the game. But the first thing that you need to look at with, with your barricades is clearly if you don't have enough cover in your in your own deployment zone using those barricades to make sure that you can safely deploy and avoid an alpha strike is going to be really important so first things first do i have enough cover yes no the answer is no put some barricades down and where you put them you need to be really careful of right so the next thing that i'd say is whenever you place a barricade somewhere you need to consider where your opponent's vantage points are because if you just stick a barricade right in front of an opponent's vantage point, it's going to buy you nothing, right? It's just going to get you shot. Unless you have some sort of super concealability or something like that, it's just going to get you shot. So look for the angles where you can place it, where potentially the the vantage point is either obscured or where the vantage point cover line is drawn, you're in heavy cover, but from the angle where the vantage point isn't looking, you're in light cover. And that might be a really good way for you to be able to get the cover where you need in the right location. So please, please, please 
make sure when you're placing your, your, your barricades, look at the opponent's vantage points, look at where they can get to, draw those cover lines and make sure you're either obscured or you're in an in area where the angles work out so that you're not going to get caught off guard by, by vantage point. Obviously, with all of this, please take into consideration the fact that you have the special rules like marker light, spotter, the cat to name a few. There's also the creep bird that can remove your ability to use light cover as well. So if you're placing down those, those barricades, think about what your opponent's bringing and make sure you don't get caught off guard by potentially a, a special ability that's then going to remove your, your cover. So the next thing that I'd say is when it comes in sort of slightly more advanced play uh, and this is pretty common is, is using it for for route restriction or potentially route blocking so if you place a barricade between two bits of of, of terrain it's then going to incur that that transverse penalty and, and it might hurt certain teams with movement penalties to be able to get over that and push up and, and do what the things that they, they want to do now the pro tip that comes with this is always thinking about the size of your own base as well so let's say i'm playing a uh, vet guard and i'm playing against my opponent who's running space marines or legionary they have a 32 millimeter base the opponent and all my guys are on a 25 millimeter base so when i'm placing that barricade i can leave a gap that's just 25 mils either side that my models can move around and freely through with no movement penalty at all but a 32mm base won't be able to fit through that. And that way, that's where you start becoming quite quite good with, with placement because now it's slowing down your opponent but keeping your own speed. And that's really useful to be able to, as I said, restrict the routes that they can take or slow them down in the right areas and that's going to help you out. So please don't forget your own movement requirements, right? So don't just slam down a barricade right in the middle of, of, of the key route that you need to get through and then find out that you're constantly paying a two-inch transverse penalty to get all your models over it when just a bit, bit of smarter positioning you could have made that so it was, it was, it was free. The next thing that I would say, so once you've, once you've looked at that deployment cover and once you've started looking at what routes you want to shut down, the next thing I'd say is, is there enough cover on the objectives themselves? So the, the places you're trying to get to, is there significant cover to keep your models safe? And is there a way that you can make it a one-way advantage? So there's various ways of doing this, right? So one might be that you place the barricade right on the, the closest edge to your opponent so that they have to pay the transverse penalty to be able to get onto the barricade. That could be one opportunity to do it. But let's say you're playing against a very, very um, focused melee team. Well, potentially bringing it slightly further back might mean that they have to charge further and then gain more distance to be able to actually get to you. And that might be a, a good way of positioning it as well. And there's also a little bit of play in that we'll talk about in a second about counter melee play and how you can try and make make that work. But main thing I'd say is start measuring those threat ranges. Look at the bits of heavy cover that are nearby and heavy terrain and think to yourself, how like how are they going to be able to move from there to my objective? And don't just put your models in threat range. So if you know there's a, there's a bit of heavy cover and it's eight inches away from the, the close side of the objective, but on the far side, obviously it's it's... 9, 10, 11, 12 inches away, well, just position your barricade so that you can sit within an inch of it and be outside of the, the charge threat range of that cover. And now suddenly you know that, okay, that melee guy isn't going to be able to reach me, but I, I can sit and, and score the objective. Do you have thoughts on that, Connor? Yeah, well, I just wanted to add on that, um, the idea of asymmetrical route restriction, which I think is a really nice idea. But it doesn't even have to be limited to just, I've got a smaller base than you. So, for instance, let's take that vet guard crew game matchup crew are on 28 mil vet guard are on 25 mil but crew have access to the bound stratagem so they can block a route completely for any model to get through and they don't care because they can just transverse clean over it using alternative ways and there's plenty of factions out there that have transverse or fly or something similar but just something to consider there 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's that special rules that you have to take into consideration whenever you're placing down barricades. You know, there's no point putting down a bunch of route restricting barricades against, say, Harlequins just to, to have them fly over them all. So, great point. So, something to keep in mind. Another thing that we can start thinking about as well at this stage, if you are placing objectives, or uh, barricades on objectives, it's potentially what your opponent's bringing. So, if they're an infiltration based team, maybe think about that as well. You know, if they have secure barricades um, as, as one of their objectives, and you place it on one of, on one of your objectives, well, now they've, they're getting a tack up and a mission primary for doing one thing, and that might be kind of efficient for them to do. So consider it. It might be that it's more important you have the cover there. I'm not saying leave your objectives without any barricades on. I'm just saying that there might be a bit of a meta game there where you can go, well, actually, if I position just about here, I can I can get this light cover, and it's going to give me the same effects, but it denies them the use of that barricade, um, which can be quite, quite good. You came on to um, talk about special abilities and there's a, a whole bunch of teams that have what are described as like pre-game movement so you can start thinking about this as well so let's say you're all vet guard um and you're doing that deployment zone cover well you know full well that all your team is going to move three inches within into the breach uh, strategy in turn one anyway to so start thinking about that and go well if i push this barricade slightly further up i can then get the most out of that because i'm going to be further positioned up threat and in a better place potentially to move up the board um same for recon sweep for pathfinders and that sort of thing as well so so consider that this is where i'm starting on turn one but where am i actually going to be by the time my models are moved forwards and then start building your barricades around the locations that you want to be at as well um i think that's a, a really important thing to, to think about that pre-game movement is something that uh, it took me a while to learn, I'm embarrassed to admit, but because um, I run Pathfinders quite a bit and they can run up the flanks. And I'd always panic looking at my deployment zone thinking there's not enough cover here and I'm going to get torn to shred by blast. I need to put something down just to help mitigate that a little bit. And I wouldn't think about, not even turn one, this is like turn 1.1 before any shootings happened and the fact that you're going to go three inches along the side maybe even some of that three inches is just going to get you out of line of sight because you can be obscure behind heavy and where it's not you could have you, you actually need to have your barricade three inches further up than you thought it was going to be just that little bit of you've spotted the problem the problem is there's no cover but then one more thought but where i'm actually going to be so where where do i actually where's the problem really the problem's actually going to happen in a bit when i can move my models before any shooting actually begun and so therefore i need to have the barricade three inches outside my deployment zone maybe three and a bit inches because you have to be within an inch of it you don't have to be adjacent to it i'm just thinking a little bit deeper about the problem that you're facing absolutely and another thing that i would say as well is when you're placing down these barricades you have to be looking at the cover angles that you're doing i think it's, it's really common just to throw it into so it's you know perfectly 90 degrees to the board because that feels like it's the the right thing to do but you could potentially angle it slightly so that it's one side facing towards some heavy cover that you know you can't be shot from because of obscuring or whatever it is and on the other side it's going to be um, more towards deployment zone and it makes the, the barricade placement much more effective and much harder for your opponent to get a flank on you so consider those cover angles think about you know where can my opponent realistically get to and where do they want to be so if your barricades you know further on the, the left or right flank then angle it to support that so that it's harder for your, your opponent to be able to get round and get the shots that they, they want to get potentially. Um, something to consider. If not, obviously the 90 degrees is fine, but but, but something to, to be aware of. Well, you've used that rotation. So obviously 90 degrees, yeah, like you said, absolutely fine. But you use that rotation, you put it on like a slight 45 degree axis. And because the rules state it only has to be within, not wholly within, you can have a little bit of your barricade within your deployment or within six inches or wherever it the rules are and then the rest of it actually outside but because you've got that little bit 
inside of it, you've put your barricade a bit further forward into a bit more useful place than it was if it was at 90 degrees. Absolutely. And what I describe that is as well, is that can be useful as a uh, offensive barricade placement. So if you have it angled at, say, 45 degrees and you have your model uh, slightly over the end, overhanging, so that there's only a small slither of their base that's actually behind the cover, but that then means that when you then start moving, you can practically ignore the transverse penalty because the, the one inch that you would be going out it's not a 90 degree one inch where you're, it's, it's, it's wasted it's now 45 degrees so you're still getting effectively half an inch uh, further up the board if that makes sense to then be able to continue moving in the right direction so that can be quite a good way to offensively place barricades if you know that you're moving up threat rather than um than, than staying where you are so it's a really good point to think about is you know that the angle of the barricade is just as important it might mean that it gives you the flex that you need to get it onto a, an objective where you couldn't previously it might let you be able to play for, slightly more aggressively or shut down angles and be slightly more defensive as well something else i think is important to look at though is grenade threat range so what, what are your opponent bringing do they have lots of grenade models and are you just putting a barricade in a position where it's immediately going to get hit by by a turn one or turn two grenade and is that actually helping you out yes or no it might be that it's, that it's good, but the, the other thing you could use it for, and we talked about route restriction, is you could use a barricade to potentially slow down that grenade threat range. So if you put it out there and make them pay a transverse penalty, maybe you can use some heavy cover slightly further back to keep your guys safe. But be careful where you're putting it. Don't just throw one straight into the middle of the board where you, where you know your opponent can just move and throw a grenade on it turn one, and it's just going to lose you, lose you an operative. So the next thing I would say when it comes to barricade placement is you can use it to really start supporting your secondary objectives as well. Um, this is something I've seen most common on like the recon teams and that, that kind of thing, uh, when they're trying to get the... Um, it used to be triangulate, uh, now it's called... Outflank. Outflank, nice, thank you. And now it's called outflank. Um, and that's where you are trying to get models onto the side of the board have enough APL but maybe there's not enough terrain there to, for you to be able to support that so you could start positioning barricades out on the left and right flanks so that you know that you can move out there turn one turn two secure out flank um, on, on subsequent turns and have your guys in cover whilst doing so but my big caveat with that would be is be careful not to telegraph what you're doing because if you start positioning that those barricades out on those flanks it's telling your opponent okay they're probably going to be looking for an outflank here because they're, they're trying to put cover in the right place there is a, a bit of potentially big brain play where you can put barricades out there if you don't think you need them and then your opponent starts positioning models slightly further to the edge of the board so they can try and deny you an outflank but actually you were never trying to go for it in the first place um, that might be a good way of wasting your opponent's resources but something to be aware of either way so it could be a, an important thing to support those secondary objectives by using barricades as well off air kind of made a really good point i'm just going to bring it up now is the outflank rule has the uh, the caveat that you can't be within red of your drop zone so remember that you'd have to be using that angled ability to be able to angle it so you're potentially seven inches away and positioning your model so it's not quite within red of your own drop zone to be able to use that effectively so don't get caught out by your own tackle make sure you read the rules and uh, make sure you're more than red from your drop zone for trying to score out flank great point gonna um, make sure we feel like that covered off okay so the next thing i want to talk about is really the idea of barricades and understanding the difference between counter melee and counter shooting so pretty much always people are when i play them people are playing the standard what i describe as counter shooting uh, play style on barricades now for, for the patrons i'm going to throw up some images and on on patrons so that they can see this all visualized but 
Counter shooting, in my mind, is when you're putting your base effectively as close as possible to the barricade as you can. And the reason that's really good is because it then makes the angle that's required to be, for you to be shot at out of that light cover all the way around sort of the, the, the 90 degree mark. So people always have to come basically behind the barricade to be able to shoot you when you're in it. And that can be really difficult for, for you to, um, to, to achieve. So it's very, very useful against shooting teams, right? But there is a few downsides to it. One is it makes it easier for someone to get within two inches of you if they to move up and try and shoot you. They can probably deny that cover quite easily. Um, two is it then makes it really, really easy for melee teams to be able to move up and attack you as well. So there's a counter melee positioning on a barricade that you can do. And that's where you, you really need to think about what your opponent's bringing and make sure you're positioning your barricades in the right place to, to, to facilitate this. So what you do with counter melee is you place your model 0.98 inches back from the barricade in a straight line. Now, the reason why that's really important is if your model's got, say, a, a 25 millimeter base, it's just slightly larger than 0.98, it's like 0.984 or something. So your enemy would have to pay the transition penalty to get over the barricade, but they can't place, they can't get their base in the gap that you have left. So they have to position to the left or to the right. So normally what that means is, is they're going to have to go around the barricade or pay transverse and go around the barricade. And that can mean that the what appears to them to be quite a simple 8-inch charge is now looking like it's going to be more of a 10 or even 11-inch charge by the time they've done that additional distance that they need to to be able to get round and over, which can really shut down some melee teams. Big caveat on this though is be careful of those left and right angles because if you position that far back, it might be that what was previously a 90 degree angle for you to get shot at from the side if you're right up close to the barricade now looks something like a 45 degrees because you have to be within one inch of the cover to count as being in cover and when you start um, coming off at an angle on the left and right hand side of that barricade you might see that that, that one inch is, is now too far and you can start shooting people from those side angles but the important thing that I, i'm trying to get out there is there's different ways to be put, putting your models in cover and your range is from cover based on what you're trying to achieve with it, right? So if you're against counter melee, make sure you achieve a counter melee position. And if you're in counter shooting, make sure you achieve a counter shooting position. I'm going to just throw one more layer on top of that again, right? So with that barricade placement, you can place that barricade so it's uh, on the objective and you can sit 0.98 inches back from it and still be on the objective versus the counter melee team. Whereas if you put it so it's just scraping the objective right in the very far end to be in that counter melee range that you want to be operating in, you're now no longer on the objective. So just think about that and be like, okay, so where, what am I trying to do with this barricade? Where am I trying to place it? What's my opponent's play style? If it's trying to deny shooting, then make sure you, you uh, position it appropriately for shooting. If you're trying to deny melee, make sure you position it appropriately for melee. And that's a really important way of being able to determine uh, barricade placement. One thing I want to add to that is just... Um convey your intent to your opponent as well. If you put the model down and say, look, I put my model here, he's within an inch, or very just within an inch of the barricade here, so therefore he's outside an inch if you're on the other side of the barricade, but he's also just outside of an inch from these angles, so if you can get to these angles, you can see them, then everyone's happy, whereas if you're not, then you start having to get the tape measure out and looking at stuff later on down the road, so just explain to your opponent what you're doing and why you're doing it, and it'll make for a much more fun game. Yeah, 100% play by intent always because you can sit there and you can measure it back and forth, back and forth, and then someone can say, oh no, you know, it's, it's not quite perfect, whatever. But if you just say to your opponent, this is the intent, this is what I'm trying to do, 
they understand that and you can then like move forward without any gotchas right and that's such a better way of playing than spending ages getting out you know your absolute perfect measurement calipers to make sure that you've achieved your 0.98 inches it would just it would just waste time that, that no one can, can be bothered with my final point on um on, on sort of this uh, advanced play is understand the difference between that sort of defensive and, and offensive mentality so what i talked about then was using a probably one of your shooting models to deny a melee model getting in in contact with you by positioning far back but if you've got a melee model you probably want to be positioning far forwards to get your extra charge range out of there so consider that um and as always special rules apply maybe you can ignore the transverse penalty so you can sit back and then have a one-way charge and that's really good for you because you get the advantage on charging or whatever it's going to be so understand the difference between if you're trying to move forwards if you're trying to hold back and the difference between trying to stop people shooting you and stop people from being able to to melee you that's some advanced sort of um, barricade placement tips that i think will really help people elevate their game uh, going forwards because it's it's something that i see people just often really just gloss over going oh whatever blah blah, blah. i'm just stick back in here stick barricade here and actually there's a whole meta game to it so um, think about all those points and um, make sure you use all of them to your advantage there's one thing we haven't spoken about here fortify barricade the uh, one that you can get in the scouting step and it's slightly different did you want to save that for a for the scouting step lesson or did you want to discuss it now no it's, we, we might as well touch on it now and we can always go back on it on the, on the fortify uh, the scouting step as well because i think it is really really important it does come down to effectively barricade placement because during this step you, you want to be thinking about whether or not you're planning to use it or not um, and you might change your mind though based on what your opponent um, does with their deployment and their orders we'll talk more about that in the scouting step about how you read your opponent but you're absolutely right it can be a key point where you go i think i need three barricades here so i'm going to leave this one available wherever it is and and, and decide that i'm going to use it for a fortify or it might be that you decide i really want to be able to place a barricade on this vantage point now because that's what you can do and then, therefore, you can use that to be able to, to, to spring forward and, and get your, your sniper shots in the right place. The key difference for the for the fortify step is that it lets you go anywhere within your territory. So that's up to halfway of, of, of the board and it can be placed on terrain. So it can be placed on a vantage point. So absolutely, really good point. You can you, you can think about it and go, you know what? I, I can't quite get this, this objective the way I want it to be. I'm going to need an extra barricade and I can achieve that during a fortify step great points and absolutely all of what we just said still applies to that as well so make sure you think about um, where you're positioning it where any vantage points are enemy special abilities etc etc there's no point placing a, a barricade on a vantage point that you can then be in, immediately denied by a creep bird or something like that and that'd be really unfortunate so consider it and make sure you bring it in, into your, your your play style okay we're into our tactical tip of the day then and for, this, uh, for today, I'm going to go with understanding risk management or understand risk management. So I think this is a really common thing that people can get wrong and it can cost you an entire game if you don't understand necessarily what you're doing. I think potentially some people are doing it subconsciously and not necessarily applying much thought to it. Some people are doing it or, or not doing it at all and, and you can kind of see it from, from the play style. But what do I mean by risk management? So risk management is knowing when to take more or less risk and having that play into your, into your decision making, right? So the game is all about effectively risk and probability and chance of stuff happening, right? So it might be that you're deciding whether or not you want to charge a model with one of your models and you not, might know it's a 50-50% chance of whether or not you're going to kill him or, or, or lose your own model, right? Now, when I talk about risk management, I would say on turn one, 
a 50-50 is probably not the risk management that you want to be doing, right? You want it because if it goes wrong and you lose that model, you haven't just lost it on turn one, you've lost it on turn two, turn three, and turn four. So the it's cost you, say, six APL, it's cost you another few opportunities to kill people, score objectives, etc., etc. So understanding when to take risk is, is, is really important. So what I would say, generically, is don't try and take too much risk on turn one and turn two. And as the game progresses, allow yourself to take more and more risk, right? Because you're losing less and less should that model subsequently die. But there's always a caveat with this, as there is with everything, right? Let's say that you're having an absolute shocker and you really, really need something to pay off, right? You're, you, you've already lost, right? You're, you're how many points down, you think there, there is no way that I, I, can, I can get this back. Continuing to do like safe, secure plays with low risk, if that's gonna lose you the game, there's no point doing that. You need to start elevating your risk as you start losing to make sure that you can uh, potentially even up. So it might be that you have a 10% chance to charge and kill an enemy ancestor sergeant. Well, if you're 17 nil down, and that's gonna be the, the determining factor to, to get you 18 points somehow, then I, absolutely, if it's 10% chance, at that point, you've lost anyway, give it a go. It might just, just, just save you. So that's one of the things I'd say. So as the game goes through, allow yourself to take progressively more risk because it's going to cost you less and less and understand what risk you're taking and when you're taking it and hopefully that's going to mean that you make better decisions throughout because you think to yourself what's the chance of this thing happening what's the the payoff if it goes wrong what's the payoff if it goes right and is this the right time to make those sort of decisions um, any thoughts on risk management Connor? Uh, no it just nicely echoes what mark said earlier on in the episode with him especially that idea that if it's a lost game You've lost already. What have, you, what have you got to lose by taking a bit more risk and maybe actually turning the game back on itself and having a chance to win again? So, yeah, when you're losing is the time to take risk. But why why gamble away what is otherwise a wind game just for extra kills or to do something that you think is a bit more exciting? Makes sense. That's a really great point. There is like it, it works conversely as well. So I talked about if you're losing, take more risk. You're probably right. If you're if you're winning, you probably want to start taking le less risk, right? Um, so there's no point going overcharged on your plasma gun with your guy that's only got three wounds left, who's holding your back objective, just to maybe kill a, a model that's that's unimportant. You know, like if that's going to lose your objective, gain number point, and suddenly it swings the game the other way because you rolled a one into a one, wherever it is. Well, don't take that risk. Just 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 do the AP one shot. You know, you don't need to potentially kill yourself. Um, to try and have a bit more fun. I mean, it, it can. I mean, if you're playing casual and you're playing on a, the, you know, a game night, whatever, then sure, go nuts, do whatever you want to do. But at a tournament, don't don't take those risks that you don't need to take, um, just because of it, it feels like you should. I'm sure there's a bunch, bunch of people out there saying I'm a coward because I'm not overcharging plasma. But that's that's kind of like the you know the the, the competitive edge is uh, understanding when to take the risks and when not to take the risks. It's a bit of an art as opposed to a, a, a science. I can't 100 say what numbers would be but if i was gonna if i was gonna like put numbers to it i would try and say something like um in in turning point you know one and two you want to be looking at doing stuff that's got a 70 percent plus probability of happening um without your model dying but bear in mind i, I caveat all this with like if it's one way shooting and, and you're shooting but you're not getting shot back that's actually that's zero risk to you right it might be a 55 percent chance to kill your, your enemy but it's zero risk to you whereas if you're risking losing a model you want it to be 70 percent plus odds of happening turn one and turn two 
And then as the game progresses, that's going to sort of go to more like your 50% turn three. And then probably turn four, I take anything up on like a thirty percent odds um, if it's if, if it's not important because it's, you're losing the model anyway, right? It's the last turn of the game. If they waste an action killing that model, it's it's it's, it's no real real loss. Um, obviously, unless they've got some sort of tack up to score points off of it. I think that kind of covers that tactical tip. Unless you have any other points you want to add on it, come on. No, and let's also talk about the fact that the 27th today and tomorrow 28th at the weekend we've got the LVO coming up and you're hopefully going to try and get out there and see what's going on did you want to talk about that and what you're hoping to see yeah absolutely so this is like one of those weird things where I'm hoping people are listening to this on the 27th 28th and obviously we're, we're recording it before then because I'm hopefully traveling out in a couple of days uh, to, to, to America um, and I should be there over the period of the LVO if it's, it's a work trip that I'm going on, so if I'm back, uh, or if I have some free time on that weekend, I'm not guaranteed that I will, but if I have some free time on that weekend, hopefully I can get over and see some of the amazing folk that are out running the, the, the tournament out there. Um, so it's it sounds like it's going to be really exciting. They've got they've got a huge number of tickets that have sold. I think they've sold out pretty much straight away. They released more tickets, sold out again, more tickets, sold out again, more tickets, sold out again. So that there is there is a whole load of kill teamers that are out and about. I know some of our patrons are going as well, so that'd be really cool. Um, so I hope I can go meet some people, uh, show my face around, see some of the games. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to play, unfortunately, just based on what the, the work program looks like. I don't think I'm going to get the time off, but it should be awesome to go and see the scene and you know and meet a bunch of people and, and put put faces to names because you on discord you, you see all these handles and whatever else and you, and you think oh I know, I know roughly who this person is but you don't really know much about them outside of that you know you just you just think oh yeah it is, it is what it is so actually when you start meeting the, the the human behind the keyboard i think you start building that that community so i'm, I'm hoping that we'll I'll get to meet quite a lot of the, the, the people out there, and particularly some of the, the tournament organisers and that sort of stuff as well. I know that they've, they've gone for a, um, I don't know if you've seen the LVO packet, Connor, but they have this this brilliant like self-made terrain that the guys at Squad Games have, have made. I think it's like Luster's Workshop, Dakota makes it all. And then they've made like every single different mission variation possible for it. So if you look on the, the mission pack, I, I was doing some research for a patron to answer one of his questions and make sure I could give some good feedback on what I think would be good for LVO or not good. And I was like, oh, there's there's so much variety. You know, like I was looking at all the layouts and I thought to myself, it's going to be really hard for a player to memorize all of them and understand exactly how they're all going to play, which is good because it means that I'm, I'm hoping that people are going to get there on the day and have to look at the board and go, the board is, is going to determine what we what we can and can't do um and that's gonna be really interesting to see so yeah it, it, it should be cool i know they've got a, i think a, an into the dark tournament in the evening they've got some pods on the friday so they've got like pre-games and they've got the grand tournament and i want to say it's like up to 100 players um so, so quite a lot of people going and it should be really interesting to see so hopefully i can get out there and and, and, and talk to some of them and also we obviously just go to the convention itself and there may even be some some reveals. One hopes uh, for kill team. We might see what the new kill team box is. Um, Rumours are Arbites, Arbites, Arb, Arb, whatever it's called, Arb, Arb, Arbites, something. Um, the the space. I want to say Arbites, but I don't think it is. I think it's Arbites. Ar Arbites, Arbites. Um, yeah. Arb, Arbites <laughs> um, are going to be the the new kill team, and uh, they're like the Imperial Space Force. Um, versus obviously Jakari, so there's a, there's a whole a whole kink thing going on another there. Bird. Um, another bird, which um, yeah, I was, I was listening to um, Kill Team Casuals talking talking about the 
that they want a slimy rat bird to be the, the Takari <laughs> one. Um, it's, yeah, a bat. Yeah. A bat, yeah, some sort of some sort of bat bird covered in slime, I think, is what they were. S&M so, bat bird. S&M bat bird. As long as there's nipple tassel involved <laughs> and the Takari players are happy, right? Um, it, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to throw it out there, right? If Takari is your main faction... like Get help. You, the, 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 get, get help, right? <laughs> there's, there's, there's something going on there, right? There is something going on. I mean, probably shouldn't kink shame people, but <laughs> it is what it is, right? So, um, uh, so anyway, so we've got those two teams coming out, more ITD. Uh, it'd be really interesting to see what they do. I'm, I'm a little bit worried, to be honest, that with the the power curve that we've seen um, from the last few box sets that they might be kind of weak. But that being said, GW have done a great job of then buffing those weaker factions in subsequent balance later slate. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. Um, but it could be quite quite a cool reveal if it if it happens. I'm assuming they'll reveal something. Uh, and it also it's, it's going to round off the ITC season. Um, it's been a pretty awesome season this year. I I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold on to my top five. It, it depends how the the guys out in um, out there do because there's some fantastic American players um, that I assume are going to be going to to the the, the LVO. I might be wrong, um, and I'm currently in fourth. But people like um, Chris Backey are, are down in seventh at the time of recording but if he does go to lvo and pick up like a big win you know he, he could easily skyrocket straight up into to, to the top five and i know john reese is going out as well uh, can you roll a crit um so potentially he could be up in the in the top five as well um so it'd be interesting to see if, if i can end end the season in the top five also i'd love to um but it'll be it'll be i guess determined at the lvo which i think is probably the, the last major event of this of this season to see if i can stay up there or not Good luck to uh, all our Patreons attending as well. Let us know how you get on. Send us your bat reps. We'd love to read them. And if you get any questions as well, actually, let us know if there's anything where you think, oh, I'm not sure if I approached that correctly. I wonder if there's a better way of doing that. Let us know and we can have a look at it and reflect on it. We'd love hearing your questions. Absolutely. And I, I think what we'll, we'll try and do as well is I'll be um, I'll be posting on, on the Patreon throughout whilst I'm out there. So obviously all the episodes you had to pre-record because I don't have the recording facilities whilst I'm away. So hopefully these all get edited in time and they're all good to go and I can just hit release at the right time. Um, but yeah, but what I will be active on the Patreon. So if you have questions about I'm, I'm going into this matchup, whatever, hopefully I can try and uh, give you a, a few hints and tips going forwards. Um, we can see what happens. But I'm I'm really excited to try and try and meet some people because it's such a fantastic scene in the UK. I've I've not been not yet been to a proper US event and um it's gonna be so cool to go to go and meet them all you know face to face and put faces to names and that kind of thing because I think um the more we do that the the, the better the community comes as, as a whole as we sort of like connect people through and hopefully there'll be some Spanish players there as well. I know they like to go go over and that could be really awesome. Could potentially we could have all three, you know, major competitive scenes. All we need then is be like France, Poland, um, to turn up. Then before you know it, we're going to have everyone in one place. But um, yeah, it should be really cool. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm hoping that I can uh, meet some of the patrons that are out there, and I'm hoping they can pick up a few a few extra points, wins, and that sort of stuff. I think they're pretty close to winning in Chicago. Um, I think they said uh, last time. So if they can potentially be up and win at LVO and and say oh i learned one one or two things training my tactics and help me get a win that'd be that'd be pretty epic wouldn't it so we'll see how it goes um i'm obviously buzzing and really excited for it because we love kill team it's it's a massive event in the kill team world right into the itc season um 
fingers crossed I get to hold on to my uh, my top five position, but I won't, I won't be massively sad if I don't because I know the competition is, is so stiff out there at the moment. So we'll see how it goes. But um, I, th- I don't think there's anything else on this episode. Can I say anything you want to throw no. in? Good luck to everyone. Yeah, good luck to everyone. I hope you have an amazing time and have a really good fun. Um, that's mainly what it's all about, right? Um, but I think that's going to that's bring us to the end of this episode. So, so hopefully you found something new or useful while listening. Uh, if you did, throwing us a like would be greatly appreciated. And if you don't want to make sure you don't want to miss any episodes at all, make sure you hit subscribe so you get that notification when the next one drops. And if you can't wait and you do want early access, we do have a Patreon where you can get exclusive access to all our content. As I said, I'll be throwing some pictures in there of, 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 of demonstrating what I meant by the barricade placement so people can have a bit more of a visual representation rather than just me talking about it because sometimes pictures make it easier. But as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback. So drop a comment and we'll get right to you. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Ryan. This has been Turning Point Tactics and we'll see you next week. See you next week.